Well, hello again, and welcome again to another podcast, Down to Earth, but Heavenly Minded. I'm your host, Herbrish. Well, it's a beautiful morning. It's uh, a cool fall morning in Minnesota. That's where I'm located. Just got out of a hot shower. I got a nice hot cup of coffee. Mmm... Every time I take a drink of my coffee, though, I steam up my glasses. I haven't turned my heat on yet, and I'm trying to hold off until I have to turn it on. I had one cold morning that uh, I I did want to turn it on, but I didn't turn it on. Well, today we come to Chapter 13. And you'll see this as we start into it. Uh, Keith writes the same thing that many entitle this portion of scripture as the kind of the beginning of the upper Rome ministry of the Lord, the ministry, excuse me, to himself, uh, to his own, I mean. And uh, with that said, I'm just going to start our uh, reading, and uh, I'll be back with you at the end. So bear with me. We'll get going here. John chapter 13. A layman looks at John's gospel. We have now come to what is commonly called the Lord's upper room ministry. Rather than proclaiming the gospel to the world, or even to the Jews, this section presents the Lord teaching family truths. We get many of the other details of this time from the other gospels. The Lord said, With desire have I desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. It was at this gathering in an upper room that he instituted what we call the Lord's Supper. John records some things that the others didn't, and he gives us much of what the Lord said during this special time. Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This was a farewell dinner. The force of the last statement is, he loved them to the uttermost. That is, there was no boundary of his love for them. He would go as far as love could go for them, even to the death of the cross. And during supper, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. This is a horrifying statement. Judas had spent over three years in daily contact with the Lord. He had seen all the miracles and heard all the same words the other disciples had, and yet his heart was open to the direction of Satan. Yes, Judas was enticed by his own greed, but Satan knows how to use our lusts and greed to use us for his goals. His target is Christ. It always has been, even when he used Cain to murder his brother Abel. Jesus, knowing that the Father had handed all things over to him, and that he had come forth from God and was going back to God. This tells us that the Lord Jesus was fully aware of who he was, the authority that he had, where he came from, and where he was going. He knew he was the Lord of glory. He knew he was the Son of God, the second Adam, yet he took the position of servant to his own followers. Got up from supper and laid his outer garments aside, and he took a towel and tied it around himself. Our Lord took the place of a servant. Not just as a servant of God, but as a servant to his disciples. We marvel at his humility. 
now he engages in a servant's act. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Then he poured water into the basin and began washing the disciples' feet and wiping them with the towel which he had tied around himself. The Lord was setting an example for us. If he, the eternal Son of God, could stoop so low as to wash the disciples' feet, then we can do the same and humble ourselves to be our brother's servant. So he came to Simon Peter. He said to him, Lord, you are washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing, you do not realize right now, but you will understand later. Now Peter was amazed that the Lord, the Master did this. The Lord said, You don't know what I am doing right now. Peter knew that the Lord was attempting to wash his feet, but he did not understand the spiritual lesson involved. That would come later. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Peter was protesting that he would never allow the Lord, the Master, to humble himself so much as to wash Peter's feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no place with me. Our feet are the part of us that comes in contact with the dirt of this world. We need the cleansing power of the Word of God applied to clean the dirt from our spiritual feet in order to walk with the Lord. The purpose is not salvation but communion with the Lord. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then wash not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. Peter wants his place with the Lord, so now he pleads to be washed all over. Many a Christian, ignorant of eternal security, wants to get resaved when he realizes that he sinned. Jesus asterisk said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, otherwise he is completely clean. The Lord does not yield to Peter's ignorant plea. Salvation has made us clean every whit. We don't need to be fully cleaned again, but to apply the word of God to our errors. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who was betraying him, it was for this reason that he said, Not all of you are clean. No amount of foot washing could clean the guilty soul of Judas. Having completed his task of washing the disciples' feet, our Lord redressed and lay back down at the table with them. Then, when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined at the table again, he said to them, Do you know what I have done for you? Now he quizzes them about their understanding and appreciation of what he had just done, and then he gives them the lesson to be learned. You call me teacher and Lord, and you are correct, for so I am. So if I, the Lord and the teacher, washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. If he, the master and teacher, the Lord of glory, stooped to wash their feet, then they must be prepared to do the same for each other. As the Apostle Paul wrote, we are to each esteem the others better than ourselves. We are to take the place of servant towards each other. For I gave you an example, so that you also would do just as I did for you. The Lord did not come to be an example to the world. Secular preachers, humanists, suppose that he did just that, but is the example for believers to follow in his footsteps. The world cannot follow in his footsteps as they lack the divine nature, eternal life. There is a most important lesson here for us. There is no hierarchy among God's people. Man's system of things must have a hierarchy, but it has no place in God's family. Truly, truly I say to you, a slave is not greater than his master, nor is one who was sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. For the believer, the path of faithful obedience is the path of joy. 
Simply knowing the Lord's will and not walking in it is the recipe for a miserable existence. Some Christians spiritualize foot washing to the exclusion of doing it physically. I believe that is a mistake as much as it would be to regard baptism and the Lord's Supper as merely spiritual. Without a doubt, there is a spiritual application or imagery to be drawn from foot washing, but nothing in the text that I can see warrants reducing it to just a spiritual thing. I am not speaking about all of you. I know the ones whom I have chosen, but this is happening so that the scripture may be fulfilled, he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. The Lord knows who is his and who is not. He knew from the foundation of the world exact who Judas was and what he would soon do. From now on I am telling you before it happens, so that when it does happen, you may believe that I am he. The Lord told them beforehand that he would be betrayed by one of his followers. This would come back to them when it happened, and by this they would know that he was indeed the Lord, Jehovah. Truly, truly I say to you, the one who receives anyone I send, receives me, and the one who receives me receives him who sent me. The Lord uses this momentous and traumatic moment to introduce another component of family life. His people are to receive one another. If he sends someone, we should welcome him with open arms. In John's second letter, he warns us about a man named Diatrephs who not only did not receive the brethren, but he put those that did receive them out of the church. The root of the problem was that he loved to have the preeminence among the saints. John called that evil. The Lord had a lot to unfold to his disciples, but he was restrained as long as Judas was in the room. Jesus predicts his betrayal. When Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in spirit, and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. One of the hardest emotions for humans to deal with is betrayal by a trusted friend. It is excruciatingly painful. The Lord went through this with Judas. It was painful enough to have the Jews conspiring to put him to death, but the pain of betrayal by a close friend added a great weight to the Lord's troubled spirit. In the fellowship of his sufferings, we may be called to endure this. I know I have not handled this experience in the gracious way the Lord did. It was foretold in the 41st Psalm. My enemies speak evil against me, when will he die, and his name perish? And when he comes to see me, he speaks empty words. His heart gathers wickedness to itself, when he goes outside, he tells it. All who hate me whisper together, against me. They plot my harm against me, saying, A wicked thing is poured out upon him. So that when he lies down, he will not get up again. Even my close friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Knowing beforehand this was going to happen only added to his grief. When we are called to go through something like this, let us endeavor to keep our eyes on the Savior and ask Him for His sustaining grace. The disciples began looking at one another, at a loss to know of which one He was speaking. This was shocking news to the disciples. We read in the other Gospels that each wondered if was He. They never suspected Judas. Lying back on Jesus' chest was one of His disciples, whom Jesus loved. This was John, the author of this book. I don't think that he thought the Lord loved him more than he loved the others, but John basked in the Lord's love. Peter signaled to John to discreetly ask the Lord who he was speaking of. So Simon Peter nodded to this disciple and said to him, Tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. 
He then simply leaned back on Jesus' chest and said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus then answered, That man is the one for whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. There has been some disagreement among Bible students over whether or not Judas partook of the Lord's Supper. I do not believe he did. He was there for the common meal, and the Lord did an interesting thing. He dipped a piece of bread into a bowl of wine and gave it to Judas. I take this as somewhat symbolic. Judas had a relationship with the Lord while his body and blood were together, but when his body was given and his blood shed, Judas had no part in that. The Lord was fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 41 when he shared his bread with his betrayer. By this John understood who was betraying him, as the Lord had indicated. Now a horrible thing happened. After this, Satan then entered him. Many people are possessed by evil spirits or demons, but Satan himself entered into Judas. Satan is a murderer from the beginning, and now he was about to engineer the murder of the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you are doing, do it quickly. The Lord dismissed Judas and Satan quickly from the room. Neither had any part in what he would go on to say to his followers. Now none of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were assuming, since Judas kept the money box, that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things we need for the feast, or else, that he was to give something to the poor. So after receiving the piece of bread, he left immediately, and it was night. Enticed by greed for the thirty pieces of silver bounty on the Lord's head, and now energized by Satan himself, Judas left the room with all dispatch. The disciples all assumed that he had been commissioned to do some shopping or donate to the poor. It says that he left immediately, and it was night. This not simply a statement of what time of day it was, but of the dark moral condition of Judas. Thou makest darkness, and it is night wherein all the beasts of the forest creep forth. The young lions roar after their prey and to seek their food from God. Psalm 104 Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. was gone out to claim his bounty, nothing remained between the Lord and his arrest and crucifixion. Nowhere is the glory of God more manifest than at the cross. It is there that loving kindness and truth meet together and righteousness and peace kiss one another. The Lord Jesus went in perfect submission to his Father to accomplish the work of redemption. There is more to it than that, I think. There is an aspect of the work of Christ that was solely for God. We don't really understand or appreciate this fully. In the Old Testament, this was typified by the burnt offering, which ascended completely up to God. This is holy ground, and we must tread with unshod feet. Little children, I am still with you a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. The Lord told them the same thing he had told the Jews, that he would soon no longer be with them, and that they could not come where he was going. Notice that, although they were Jews, the Lord doesn't include them with the Jews. Shortly, they would be part of a new entity, the church, in which there is neither Jew nor Gentile, bond or free, male or female.
they had loyally followed the Lord in his rejection for three years. Now, alone, he was going in to stand in breach between God and man. They could not accompany him there. I am giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Let us pause for a moment and allow the Lord's words here to sink into the deepest part of our beings. This command was not given to the world at large, but to believers. What is to be the measure of our love to one another? As I have loved you. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The testimony of a true believer to the world is his love for the brethren. When God's people are going on in love toward one another, it is an undeniable witness to the world. In nothing perhaps, so much as this, have we failed the Lord. Christians severed and divided from one another comes from one major sin, disobedience to the Lord in our love to one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, Where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. The Lord was going alone to the cross. In coming years, Peter and most of the other disciples follow him and die for their faith, but the time for that had not yet come. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. What a lesson awaited Peter. He was confident in his own flesh and love for the Lord. He thought he was capable of joining the Lord in his own strength. Jesus replied, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Now the Lord told Peter just what would actually happen, and it wasn't pretty. Despite Peter's confident boast, before the first crack of light he would deny he ever knew the Lord. Well, that ends our reading. I don't know if you know or not, but this portion of scripture that we're reading right now, everything that we're reading, took place on the very night the Lord was betrayed. The very night. Uh, this happened so quick after the Lord's Supper, and we'll see that as we read on. But I can prove this by scripture, by the way. Paul was not among those disciples. He was saved later on on a road to Damascus. But he was given direct revelation from God about what transpired. Let me just read a little bit. And I've read this before in this study. <clears throat> uh, this is out of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul said this, For I received from the Lord that which I also deliver to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread, gave thanks, gave it to the disciples, and did the same with the cup, the New Testament. This is what the Lord did on the very night he was betrayed. You know, if we knew we were going to die or we were going to face judgment, we would want people to feel sorry for us and comfort us. And But it was just the other way around. Christ was going to die, but he was comforting those that were following him. Uh, you know, he knew that he had to do this. 
this was the night that he was going to win the victory uh, over Satan. Satan played right into his hands by delivering him over to be crucified. The amazing thing is all of this was predicted in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. Uh, nobody took any account of him. Well, think about what we just went through with Keith. And uh, as you go on with your day, just have a blessed day. But just always remember the Lord and what he has done for us. With that, I'm just going to end our podcast until next time. Bye for now.